Hello and welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we fight bad information one fact at a time. I'm Alexis Conrad, and in this episode, we discuss fake NHS accounts. We will also be discussing testing in the UK, how many tests we're actually doing per day, and why is it so difficult to find out. And finally, we will end with the Ask Full Fact section. This is where you, dear listener, have sent us the questions you want answered. Now, as always, I'm joined on the podcast by Tom Phillips, who's the Full Fact editor. Tom, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Very good, thank you. I, I can imagine that every week is a busy week with uh, Full Fact. But let's let's kick off with what you guys have been looking into this week. I guess one of the biggest stories was a rather explosive article from the Insight team at the Sunday Times last weekend. Now, are articles like this something that Full Fact will look into? Yeah, I mean, we'll look into them. But a lot of the kind of claims that were in that article are the kind of thing that it's very practically difficult for us to fact check. Um, So this was, you know, it was a really big article. It went everywhere. Um, The government was sort of, you know, actually came out with their own rebuttal to it as well. A 3,000 word rebuttal. And we got a lot of people asking us, can you fact check this? Um, Now, obviously, there are some issues that are raised in it that absolutely we are looking into. There are whole questions around PPE supply chains and testing regimes, which we're going to be talking about later, and things like that. Issues that are raised, we're absolutely looking into. But there was an awful lot of stuff in there that was, you know, anonymous sources uh, saying one thing, uh, you know, and things like that. And that's practically not really something that we can do. We aren't going to be able to check who that anonymous source was from the Sunday Times. They're not going to tell us and, you know, nor should they necessarily. One of the key things that we do at Full Fact is we don't rely on anonymous sources. We rely on publicly available evidence, evidence that you as a reader can also check out for yourself and make up your own mind. Um, and so that's why it's, I think it's worth saying that these is, this is why it's difficult sometimes for things that are important to be fact-checked in the kind of way we operate. Let's have a look at what you have been looking into. Now, there has been a claim making the rounds that there are a ton of um, fake NHS Twitter accounts that are run by the government or a government network and are there to spread good news about the government. Tell us about that. Where did it come from and what have you been able to find out so far? This has gone hugely viral. If you've been on Twitter at all, In the last few days, you will have seen this. These are claims by one guy on Twitter who said that he's found a network of 128 fake Twitter accounts, most of them claiming to be NHS staff, which are actually, he says, being run by the Department of Health and Social Care, um, either directly or through a marketing firm. This would, of course, be a huge scandal if it was true. The trouble is right now there isn't any evidence. There isn't even any evidence of there being 128 Twitter accounts. Only one of the accounts has been publicly identified and it doesn't entirely match the description that the guy's giving of it. So our point on this is this is a serious claim and it needs serious evidence. Everybody sharing it and going like this is a huge story. It's not a huge story now because the evidence isn't there. If he releases that evidence, makes it available so other people can scrutinise it, replicate his findings, then it will be a big story. But right now, it's just one guy making claims. He said that he's not releasing the evidence yet because it's not ready for people to ask questions of it. To which the obvious point is, 
don't tweet it out then. I believe he said, oh, it would be overwhelming. There's so much data. Uh, to, it'd be overwhelming to anyone who's not a geek, which... I mean, with all due respect, Tom, but you guys are the data geeks. That's that's what you do. I mean, I was trying to not be personally offended by that when he said that to us. It's worth saying that, you know, this has been categorically denied by the Department of Health. Uh, Twitter have looked into it and they've said they found no evidence to support this. Hootsuite, which is a social media management tool that it's claimed was used to run these accounts, they've looked into it and they told us that they found no evidence to support it. So don't share this until the evidence is there and we need to see the evidence pretty quickly because this is a serious topic. Okay, let's move on to the next thing you guys have been busy looking up. Very strange story. I suppose it's it's a sign of our times where people will pick on anything and try and turn it into some sort of conspiracy. Now, this one suggests that the two nurses that Boris Johnson referred to as looking after him when he was in intensive care are fictitious and don't exist. Now, I had a look at this story uh, doing the round on Facebook. I'm very, very happy to say that Facebook on that post has put a big, big, big sign saying this is false information checked by independent fact checkers. See why. And then you can click on that and the evidence comes out. I'm imagining that uh, full fact are behind this. The independent fact checkers in question is indeed us. Yes. Worth taking an opportunity to explain how this Facebook program works. Um, So we're fact checkers. We work with Facebook. What we do is we do the fact check. It's then Facebook's call on whether or not to take extra action, like, for example, putting that thing that you'll currently see if you try and look at this post, which is a sort of a greyed out thing over it saying this has been checked by independent fact checkers. Now, you can get rid of that. Uh, You can still share the post if you want to. It's not been deleted from Facebook or anything like that. But what it does do is it shows you our fact check. You can click through, see the link, see the evidence. And then the evidence in this case, from what I can see from the, the, the work that you guys have done, screenshots from the website both these nurses Luis Carlos Rodriguez de Oliveira he's on there Jennifer Caroline McKee she's on there these people are real they're registered there's nothing to see here really yeah it's slightly baffling because like the claim itself was saying they don't appear on the the nursing and midwifery council's register they do they were relatively easy for us to find when we typed their names in i in fairness i will say uh louis Patama, you have to put his full name including the middle names in but they were there i don't know why he would have name checked them if they were fake that would be a terrible conspiracy everybody expects people to have a pop at politicians and stuff like that and that's entirely legitimate i think when you're starting to call real nhs workers who are on the front line fake That's not great, you know? Now, testing has been at the centre of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, How many tests are we doing per day? How many tests has the government committed to be doing per day? It was 25,000 tests a day uh, a while back. Now it's 100,000 tests per day by the end of the month. But how easy is it for us to find out how many tests we're actually carrying out per day? Now, one man that's been looking into that for us, in full fact, is Abbas Panjwani. Abbas, welcome. Uh, What have you found out? What's quite frustrating about this is that the data on tests didn't actually exist uh, for quite a while. When Matt Hancock tweeted on the 29th of March that we'd reached 10,000 tests a day, there was no actual information in the public domain that could back him up because what the government was publishing every day was the number of people tested. And that's quite an important difference because people can be tested more than once for things like false negatives. 
That then got sorted out, broadly speaking, fairly recently when the government did start to publish the number of tests being done. So the data has been either not there or not great. And this is on the only thing that the government has actually committed to. Do we have an accurate picture of how many actual tests are carried out per day across the UK? The latest figure is for the 21st of April, the 24 hours to 9am on the 22nd of April, so pretty much the 21st of April, unless people are doing particularly early or late shifts. Um, And that is around 22,000. So we're still short of the 25,000 that was promised by mid-April and then that was relaxed to mid to late April. Now, Abbas, we, we are seeing a slight change of terminology coming out of the government. The word capacity seems to have entered the vocabulary when it comes to testing. Dominic Raab, in his response to Sakir Starmer, said, ah, but we have a capacity of 40,000. Two questions. One, where is that published? So do we know what the actual capacity is. Uh, And secondly, um, has the terminology changed uh, when they first made those commitments? Were they talking about capacity or were they talking about actual tests? The target has always been tests um, and the capacity figures have not been published in any sort of consistent format. Looking at the government's website today, we can see this is what we have achieved. um, But the capacity, which is broadly speaking, the amount of lab Uh, capacity to actually do uh, the tests that isn't published in any sort of consistent way and I suppose also it's quite it's a target which is quite odd to assess a test is a test you can say that someone has been tested or they haven't how do you uh, assess capacity that's more of a sort of subjective um, assessment but we have seen a shift towards that language in the past few days which hints towards a sort of relaxation of that target potentially coming along. So Keir Starmer, as you said, mentioned what the test numbers were. And Dominic Raab said something along the lines of, I'm going to have to correct you or just to correct you, the capacity is this. But capacity has never been a target. It's not for us to say what the government's target should be or shouldn't be. But suggesting that that has ever been a target is not correct. Abbas, uh, thank you so much. Uh, That's Abbas Banchwani, who has been looking into the test figures. I'm sure this is a subject that we will come back to in a future episode because everyone's eyes are going to be on that 100,000 test number and whether or not we will hit it. We have come to the Ask Full Fact part, which I know that you and I both love because it's questions from our listeners and from people who are regular readers of the site and uh, so many people send in their questions the stuff that they want fact checked stuff that they've picked up uh, in a newspaper or in a broadcast or on social media and they just wonder is this true let's kick off with a question sent to us by tom in surrey i've seen the death figures from coronavirus in countries like france and spain are 50% in the hospital and 50% in care homes and in people's private residences. Why then does the government only produce death figures in this country from the hospitals? Does this mean that the UK death figures is actually twice as high as it is? Is this something that we've looked into? Yeah, it is. Um, Although, as a heads up, this is an incredibly complicated topic. Oh, thanks, Tom. (laughs) Um, So, you know, buckle up. Uh, We're going to be here for (laughs) the next 45 minutes. Um, 
No, so actually, the thing I will say is that we are currently working on a long piece on exactly this topic. We haven't published it yet, um, and I'm hopefully, maybe next week's podcast, uh, we'll be able to talk about this in even more depth because we will have published that piece. In fact, I've said that now, so we have to publish that piece. So yeah, there have been these reports you'll have seen in the media that in countries like you know Italy and Spain, uh, the the number of deaths in care homes is around 50% of all coronavirus deaths. It is worth saying those numbers are themselves uncertain. A lot of this comes from a study that was done by people at LSE, but the actual figures they're working off, like um, in Spain, for example, this isn't a published figure. It's something that the media have reported the government told them unofficially. In Italy, it's based on a survey of about 10% of care homes. Uh, You know, so the question there is, were those care homes representative of all of them? In France, I think they do publish the official figure, but there are real questions about how reliable the figures are, as they are with basically every country's reporting of these figures. So the question is like, can you just double the number of deaths uh, because of this care home issue? No, you can't, but not because there aren't extra deaths that aren't being counted. There is reasonable evidence to suspect that the number of deaths in care homes are being undercounted in the UK. But the care homes issue is in fact just one issue. The real big issue here is that there is a huge spike in the number of deaths that we've seen over the past couple of weeks that is not officially related to coronavirus. So the question is, where are those deaths coming from? Deaths in care homes that aren't being listed may well be part of that story, but they're probably not going to be the entire story. Okay, here's your second question. This has been emailed to us from one of our listeners. How does the new coronavirus affect pregnancy? There was obviously a lot of concern Uh, when the government advice came out that pregnant women should uh, sort of isolate themselves, that they should, you know, do the extreme social distancing that was also being recommended to other vulnerable groups like people with underlying conditions or people over 70. That caused a lot of worry. I know that several friends of mine who are pregnant were very concerned about that. It's worth saying that right now there isn't any evidence that this coronavirus affects pregnant people more severely. And while there's some evidence that possibly uh, it can be passed on uh, to the baby, there's been a few cases of babies being born seemingly infected with it, uh, there isn't any evidence right now that it causes any particular harm to the child. The Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says that it's important to emphasise that in all reported cases of newborn babies developing coronavirus very soon after birth, the baby was well. Obviously, as with all of the stuff that we're seeing here, the evidence is evolving all the time. The reason that this was done is because pregnant women tend to be more vulnerable to respiratory illnesses generally. And therefore, as a precaution, the decision was taken to tell them to take extra measures to protect themselves. But at the current time, there isn't any evidence that coronavirus does affect pregnant women more. That evidence may change, but for the time being, the reason that pregnant women are being asked to uh, stay indoors and to avoid contact is a precautionary measure rather than based on direct evidence that coronavirus affects them more seriously. Now, moving on to our last question, it is important to say that we are recording it on Thursday. Uh, Today is the day uh, that SAGE are going to be meeting to discuss their advice on face masks. And it is a question that has appeared time and time again, and it is about face masks. So there is a lot of contradicting information coming out about the use of face masks. Do face masks provide any protection 
or not? There is genuinely conflicting evidence on this. And the reason for that is that there are two things we're actually talking about here. One is whether or not face masks can protect you from getting the coronavirus. And one on whether face masks could help stopping you spreading the coronavirus if you have it but aren't showing symptoms. And those are two different things. Um, so the answer on the first is that there is not much evidence that face masks can actually help protect you from getting the virus. They may have some benefit, but not much. And they're certainly not in any way a substitute for doing all of the other things like social distancing. Are we talking about your average face masks or are we talking about ones that are specifically designed for medical use here? So we're, what we're talking about here is sort of like basic cloth face masks. Obviously, right. you know, sort of the, the N95 masks and sort of the full sort of respirator masks that um, uh, medical professionals use, they do provide extra protection. We're talking about sort of those basic surgical masks or indeed right. ones that you could maybe make at home. The one your dentist would wear, the, 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 the sort of low level protection ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the advice on this, as I say, has changed. The World Health Organization started to say that masks could be useful. The CDC in America um, have been advising people to make their own masks, you know, cut up a T-shirt and sew it together. Um, so the main reason for that, though, is because there is some evidence that it can help stop the spread of the virus, not in terms of stopping you getting it, but because of this concern, which is really widespread and based on good evidence, that lots and lots of people who have coronavirus and can pass it on to other people may not have symptoms or may not have severe enough symptoms to make them realise they've got it. So this, the concern is that a lot of the coronavirus is spread by people who don't know that they have it. And so that's why the encouraging uh, wearing face masks has come through more. It's to try and stop people who are asymptomatic passing it on. And there is some evidence that face masks, even basic cloth ones, even homemade ones, even just a scarf wrapped around, can potentially have some help there. But again, that's not a substitute for all of the other things. And this is one of the reasons why people, some authorities have been very wary of uh, doing this is because there is a concern that if people have a face mask on, then they'll just go like, aha, I'm safe, I'm fine. And they won't do the other things like social distancing, like washing hands frequently. So face masks are not a substitute for that, but they might help in addition to that is roughly where the evidence is. But again, this is an evolving uh, debate. It's a genuine debate amongst medical professionals. There is, of course, the concern that encouraging the population to stockpile masks will actually reduce the number that are available for actual frontline workers, which is why you've seen lots of people going like, no, go for homemade masks, wrap a scarf around your face and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a complex topic. Excellent questions there from the listeners. Thank you. Uh, a reminder that you can send your question, just record it on your phone and email it to us. You can email us at podcast at fullfact.org. That's podcast at fullfact.org. And we will play your question out so you can hear your lovely voice on each episode. That's all we've got time for. Uh, Tom, as always, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to our episode of the Full Fact Podcast. You can find the first episode and any future episodes on Acast, iTunes, Spotify and anywhere else you can think of. But please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review because it really does help. And it also makes sure that the latest episode will be ready on your device every Friday morning.